ask that you look at the scriptures with me in Deuteronomy 21, 22, and 23. This is the law of Moses. Um, we're going to start here, and then we're going to end here again, explaining it in greater detail. If anyone is found guilty of an offense deserving the death penalty and is executed, and you hang his body on a tree, you are not to leave his corpse on the tree overnight, but overnight, but are to bury him that day. For anyone hung on a tree is under God's curse. You must not defile the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. Uh, we're going to study this, understand it greatly, how this points to our Lord in just a moment. Let's pray. Father, help me to be a plain preacher today, so plain. Uh, speak so plain that a child would understand me. And uh, Lord, uh, any word of knowledge you give to me to speak to a person or the situation, if you prompt me with it, I want to be obedient to speak to it. And you will remind me as you look at all of us today in this service, both services on our campus, you will remind me that I'm under a greater or more strict judgment than anybody here because I'm a teacher of your word. And I accept my place in rightly dividing it. So in the name of Jesus that I pray, his name that I preach. Amen. It's good to see you. Uh, we, uh, today, we're going to be in a series. Uh, Logan has put a logo together for us, and the series is going to be uh, the journey, and don't, don't say to the cross, it's going to be of the cross. What we're going to handle, we've got Lent 2020 at the top, Hope Arrow at the bottom. Uh, we uh, are going to be learning about the cross all the way from now to Easter. Uh, Today, we're going to be handling the understanding of the cross. Let's just get in our mind what's, uh, what's going on. Uh, a little bit of a study. I, I'm, going to, I'm going to become adjunct professor for a little bit. Uh, so you can see that side of me in a classroom. Uh, so I don't want to make you a classroom, but it's just too good of information not to give you. Also, uh, in the future, you're going to be hearing what's the, what's the message of the cross, the centrality of the cross, how do I walk with the cross, what's the influence of the cross. Uh, it's just going to be learning and studying the, uh, the uh, journey of the cross. Um, if we're going to look at uh, the history of the cross, you need to know that it preceded the time of Jesus. The cross just didn't happen when Jesus was alive. It absolutely predates the time of Jesus. Uh, began, as they call, a barbarian practice, which if you've ever used the term, that's barbaric. Uh, barbaric is referring to the barbarians. They, they found really gross ways to execute you. So they did it. It moved to the Assyrians, and then it moved to the Babylonians, and then it moved to the Persians. And every move, it got a little bit more methodical. They got a little bit sharper on it, every move that they, that they had or they did. So uh, really, they started fine-tuning it with the Persians. And to show you how it predated Jesus, this is 6th century B.C. This is before Christ. Alexander the Great uh, was one of the guys that moved it down into the Bible region a little bit. Uh, there was an island called Tyre. It's spelled T-Y-R-E. It was an island. It's no longer an island. Uh, he wanted to capture that, that island. This is to show you the strategy of Alexander the Great. He uh, got his army and slaves and everybody, and they built a causeway. 
They built a causeway to the island. They filled in the ocean. Are y'all listening? I mean, you had to go from land, use a boat, and go to the island of Tyr. And then he filled it in. He just filled it in. And he captured the land. Uh, Estimates, some others, over 2,000 were crucified in that capture. Uh, he, uh, he brought it in. Then the Phoenicians took it. They, uh, they worked it a little better, a little more methodical. And then they gave it to Rome in the third century BC. This is all before Christ. So the Romans are the ones who perfected it. They are the ones who got it to the measure that we explain it today in the time of Jesus. Crucifixion was huge. Maybe you've seen the movie about Spartacus. And uh, in, the, in the defeat of Spartacus, there were over 6,000 crucified along the roadway. Uh, maybe you've seen that, 2,000, 6,000. There, there were times uh, that they, they, uh, they were crucifying so many at one time, they ran out of wood. They ran out of crosses to be able to make them. Uh, so what I want you to know is that the cross isn't something new when it comes to the time of Jesus. It's not just all of a sudden they started doing that. This has been a method of execution for a long time. The Romans, they were the ones who helped to crucify Jesus. They used it in very prescribed ways. If you were low class, if you were low class, they would execute you on a cross. If you were a criminal, you were executed on a cross. If uh, you were a dishonorable soldier, uh, now they would not crucify another Roman unless it was great treason, had to be high treason. Uh, They crucified foreigners, uh, but Romans were exempt except for treason. And uh, we know the Roman emperor Nero uh, absolutely despised Christians. Uh, Nero used Christians to elevate his leadership. And one way he would do that uh, is that he, uh, he loved to hunt. He had these, this kennel of hunting dogs. And uh, he would uh, hunt, skin the game that he hunted. He would take a live Christian from, from prison, uh, put them in the skins, sew them up, leave them in the woods and turn his dogs loose on the skin. Uh, he had gardens. He loved his gardens. He had beautiful gardens. And he didn't want to show them during the daytime. He thought it was better to show them at night. And so there was walkways, if you've ever been anywhere, that there's a garden and there's, there's grid work. You know what I'm talking about. So the way he lit his gardens at night is he would get a Christian out of the prison. And uh, he would get several, actually. And he would dip them in vat, hot oil. And that, and then he would crucify them, and then he would light the pitch, the tar, and so you would uh, you would walk through his gardens, and his gardens were lit with uh, live Christians who were burning on a cross uh, to light his gardens for people to see. He so hated Christians. Um, in execution, there are three types of crosses. I uh, know that it looks like four here, but two obviously in the center look to be the same. And uh, the first one is uh, you just were on a, 
a, a, a single column, but you would be held at the top, probably nailed at the bottom or even nailed at the top, but it would, it would be similar to this. Uh, the T-forms, or what these are called, um, would relate to the time of Jesus, either or. I, I know, don't, don't mess your theology up if it happened to be this one. But nonetheless, it was very common for a criminal to carry this, the, the, the horizontal beam uh, if they need. So that's not anything new to Jesus. That was just part of their method. Uh, it, 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 sometimes it happened, sometimes it didn't, but it did happen. Uh, that, that cross beam's gonna weigh 150 some plus pounds. Uh, and so then there is the X uh, faction. This is called the St. Andrew cross, the X faction, because uh, when Andrew was crucified, he didn't want to be crucified like Christ, which gives relevant to the two in the middle. And he was crucified upside down. Uh, so he wouldn't upside down. So this is called the St. Andrew's cross. Uh, and that is obviously in the form, legs here, arms there. That was a way of the cross being used. Uh, it is uh, absolutely frequent. They, crucifixion was frequent. It was often, and the people were very familiar with it. Uh, you may go, how come the gospel writers aren't more detailed about the cross? Because they were very familiar with it. They knew that their readers were going to understand what takes place. It was designed for torture. It was designed to kill you, but it was designed to kill you slowly. It was designed for torture and then death. Uh, it could go on for days. What excruciating pain. Uh, nails, obviously, in the hands and the feet. The weight of the body, its suspension. Uh, the blood loss. The, the shock, for those of you who are in the medical field, you understand the shock that would happen to the body. I hate to use this one. I'll be as kind and gentle as I can. Often attributing to the death on the cross were wild dogs and birds uh, drawn by the tissue and the blood. Sometimes they crucified them close to the ground so the wild animals could get them. Sometimes they did it at a certain height so they could jump and tear at them. But usually birds and animals were allowed to be a part of the torture process and to be a part of the pain and the suffering that is there. Uh, here's where the Romans uh, understood physiology a little better than the most. And uh, this is something they perfected. If they wanted to speed up the death, they would do two things. They would break your legs. They carried a big club, a big bat, and if they wanted to speed it up, they would hit you in the shins and they would shatter your legs to where there is no being able to lift up to breathe. Or they would pierce you and both of now Jesus' legs weren't broken, okay? You need to understand it was prophesied in the Old Testament that his legs would not be broken. I want you to see the hallelujah part of that, okay? Uh, so... Uh, there's, uh, there's some prophecies about the cross that we'll look at that never happened to Jesus that usually does happen to other people. But they did pierce his side. It was common. They knew the angle to go in the piercing. They knew where to go on the body to pierce the heart to see if it was congestive heart failure, if the water and the blood were mixing together. They had done that. So how does the death occur? It's suffocation. You drown. You drown in your own fluids. 
you know it as congestive heart failure, uh, you're drowning. Uh, little by little, your lungs are filling up, but you can't breathe, your heart ceases. And sometimes they would speed it up, not to burn the person on the cross, but so that they're breathing and dying of smoke inhalation. Uh, they would build fires underneath there and so that it, it would be, they would be breathing in the smoke along with the congestive heart failure, and that's what would happen. Uh, the, the whole perfection of this is to humiliate you. In their day, there was no greater death of humiliation than the cross. If you were, if you were executed on the cross, you were nothing. And not only were you nothing, you were on display. Part of the humiliation was that it was public. They let people see you. Uh, some people that they didn't want to torture, but they wanted to humiliate, they would just kill them and then put them on the cross after their death for humiliation. Uh, they, you're, you're, uh, they maybe were gracious enough to kill you beforehand instead of letting you die on the cross is what the reader or the writer said. So you, you need to see something here. Back to Deuteronomy 21 and verses 22 and 23. Um, or you can just leave it at 23, that's fine. You're not to leave a corpse on the tree overnight, but are to bury him by the day, that day. For anyone hung on a tree is under God's curse. You must not defile the land that the Lord your God is giving to you as an inheritance uh, this one is probably looking to just the single, the single part of uh, the cross where you're, sometimes you're impaled on it. Um, in, in the Old Testament, as, as I told you, it progressed as it went along. And you're not to, there were rules to not leave it there. Now, here, here's the problem that people were having with Jesus calling himself God. Here's the problem that they were having, saying that he was the son of God, he was the son of man, he has the power to forgive sins, to give eternal life, all the claims and the promises that he did. If you were living in that day, you would say this is no way can be a God because only humiliated people will die on a cross. You gotta see that. True Jews today, Jewish faith, this is one of their beliefs that the Messiah has not come. It's not the only one, it's only one of them. And they believe that Messiah would never die on a cross because of its humiliation, uh, because of the shame that was brought to us. But th this is the question, and we find it in Mark 27, 41 through 44. In the same way, the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, be, him being Jesus, and said, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross. Because a king doesn't go on a cross. A God will never go on a cross in their belief. And then we will believe in him. We will believe in him. He has put his trust in God. Let God rescue him now. If he wants him, for he said, I, I am God's son. Same thing in the Gospel of Mark. In the Gospel of Mark in chapter 15, uh, it talks about the exact same thing. Save yourself by coming down from the cross, they yelled. 
In the same way, the chief priests with the scribes are mocking him to one another and saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Messiah, the king of Israel, if he's king, why is he on a cross? Kings don't go on a cross. Lowlifes go on a cross. Criminals go on a cross. People who commit treason go on a cross. Uh, so that we may see and believe, even those who were crucified with him or even taunting him, yet we know one of them eventually turns his life over to the Lord. You remember, um, I grew up with a hymn, and you did too, called The Old Rugged Cross. And one of the initial verses of it is, it is an emblem of suffering and shame. It's one of the lyrics, one of the lines. Um, the Romans, the Pharisees, the scribes, they hated Jesus so much. Now, not all Pharisees did. Some came to faith in Christ. But they hated him so much that they were going to humiliate him as a low life and let's put him on the cross. Humiliation, shame, we're going to disgrace him. Uh, but you need to understand, Jesus was innocent. Even the powers that be said, I find no fault in this man. But yet, the whole point of it is, they did not like him. They did not like what he did, what he said, his claims about being the son of God. So uh, you need to be able to see what they did. They crucified an innocent man to humiliate him, to shame him, and to disgrace him. Now, I, uh, uh, in my study, um, I have a study. It used to be Andrew's bedroom, which means it's my study, which also means Andrew can't ever come back. Uh, so... Um, I, uh, I was back in my study, and I was actually, I was actually listening to the album. Uh, one of the this last song uh, is called is from Matt Redman. Matt Redman for for Logan and me is one of our favorites. And uh, I was listening to him. I had my computer playing his music in the background while I was working on it. And uh, when I got to this part, I said, uh, "But I know it's not the rest of the story." i.e. Paul Harvey. And I have to tell you, out of all the disgusting things that I've just told you about the cross, a smile came across my face. <clears throat> a smile came across my face. Let's face it, you and I will never see the cross like the people of that day did. We'll try hard. We'll study hard. But the cross to us will never meant what the cross meant to the people who lived in that time ever will. Um, I'm not saying we don't, with even with how lightly I've given it to you today, uh, you may have understand it a little deeper, but we've not lived in it. We've not lived through it. Uh, we try, but uh, the only way we can understand it today is, is more importantly through the action of Jesus and this is where it all switches for us today. I'm going to give you the good news. The method and the progression and the execution of the cross was the bad news. Now we get to the good news. Look at 1 Corinthians 1.18. This is why I love Paul so much. Now you have to understand, he's preaching to people who understand the cross. Okay? It's, they're very familiar with the cross. They're not only familiar with the cross... They've seen it happen frequently. And hang on. He comes with a message of the cross. 
And the message of the cross to them is low lives, criminals, high treason, uh, all those foreigners, everything. They were executed. That's the way they're thinking. And so he comes with the message of the cross. He says, for the message of the cross is foolish. And they would consider, Paul, you're preaching about the cross. This is really dumb. We know what a cross stands for. It's, 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 it's for the lower class. He says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But, hang on, this, is, this verse is the switch. But it is God's power to us today who are being saved. I, I might can study the execution and the method and the progression from century to century to century about the cross. But I got to tell you, I don't look at it as a method of execution as more as I look for what he has absolutely done for me. Bottom line, the cross stands for paying a penalty. Bottom line. The cross from their day and their viewpoint and all those centuries are, this is what you did, this is what we're going to do, this is how you pay your penalty, you're going on a cross. I just want you to know the, the, the part of the cross that never changed is it still became a place of penalty. But it's no longer a penalty of law. It is a penalty that he paid for us as a kingdom. When I see the cross today, I don't see its natural progression from century to century. I see a place where Jesus paid a penalty. It just didn't happen to be his. It happened to be ours. I, I want to I be as present day as I can. That verse in Psalm 139 that we gave you today of search me, O God, look into my ways. If there's any way that I have in me that is against you, show it to me. Because I, I want you to know the sin you're living in today with your fleshly desire, which is going to be from any kind of immorality of selfishness and greed and lust, I want you to know that sin crucified our Savior not just the sin back then. This sin that you do today sent that innocent man on a cross. And you and I look at it and we go, God's grace, God's grace. Look at all I'm able to do with God's grace. I want to find what's wrong in my life. Because what's wrong in my life nailed him there. And what nailed him there is not what I want to live in today. Do you understand that? You all think, man, I go to church, I sign in, I'm on this team, I do that, I give. And you should. All those things should happen. But not, not out of duty. I owe this man a debt of love on my life. And we go on, grace, grace, God's grace. And we say, man, God's going to forgive me. My flesh can do this. My flesh can sleep with this person. My flesh can go do that. My flesh can go do this. And right now, you're putting him right back in the guilt of everything. You and I should never, y'all think I'm ready to preach? I was ready. I was ready to preach yesterday. I was ready to preach yesterday. I just couldn't find an audience. I just looked around, went around, just tried to find somebody. I just couldn't do it. But my point is, do you see that? You, you, you're, you're carrying the sin that he died to get rid of. And it should never fit us.
it should never fit us. I'm just telling you, I only live in this area. I'm a Kentucky boy. But our nation is to the point that God will forgive us, so let's just do anything. And I just want to tell you something personally. I just don't want to live in what nailed him there. That's just all I'm going to say. I'll let you figure out the difference of that. I just don't want in my life what put him there. I want what he did there to take away from me what put him there. The cross is still a place of penalty. It was then, it is today. But when it came to Jesus, it wasn't his penalty he paid. He was an innocent man. What? I find no fault in this man. I've washed my hands of him, he says. So he, he paid the penalty for every single one of us. Um, it, it become an act of the kingdom on that cross, not an act of law, of being in the kingdom of God. I, uh, in my study in seminary, I had to read a man by the name of uh, John R.W. Stott. He's from the United Kingdom. Uh, uh, a lot of people love to read John R.W. Stott. I'm just one of them. And in one of his books, uh, he used a painting. And Miles, if you can get that on there, that'd be great. Uh, this painting was done in the late 1800s. Uh, in um, 1870 to 1873, uh, it was, uh, it was uh, painted by a guy named Holman Hunt. And he actually went to the Holy Land. He actually went to Israel. It's a little bit grainy. There's nothing much we can do about that. Uh, but he actually went to the Holy Land and lived there and painted this, painted this painting. And if you ever want to look it up, it's called The Shadow of Death, question mark. The Shadow of Death, question mark. And uh, it... Uh, because of its graininess, you're not going to be able to see it completely. But Jesus is working in his carpentry shop. He's got his, his workhorse here, and there's a saw, and there's all kinds of carpentry tools here. And um, if you could see his face a little better, you don't know if his face is in pain or if it's ecstasy, if it's uh, adoration. It's hard to tell. Uh, or both, and that, if you know painters, they paint their themes in there and let you work with it in the artsy part of it. Um, and I, I just want them to tell me. I don't want them, it, it, it seems like a lot of hard work to try to figure it out, but uh, is, it, is, is it pain on his face or ecstasy? And um, it's got him raising his arms up. And we don't know if he's stretching because of his work in the carpentry shop. But this is where the painting gets its name, the shadow of death, question mark. Because the sun is, and he's looking heavenward at, at the same time, but the shadow looks like he's on a cross. And right up above him are hammers and nails. He's painted hammers and nails. And so it looks... The shadow makes it look like, he, he could be stretching from his labor and work, but the shadow is a shadow of him looking like he's hanging on the cross. Now, let's get real art. So who do you think this lady is? Mary. Mary, Mary. Mary. good for you. It's Mary, his mom. 
she's, she's in a chest over here on the left. And the chest represents the gifts that the Magi brought him when he was born. And a good mom would not have taken those to the pawn shop, right? What would a good mom do? Put it right there with all the kindergarten papers and everything else, right? Yeah. So the, the picture is that this is Mary. You can't see her face. And there's a chest here. And in the chest are the gifts that were brought to Jesus at his birth. Recognize that he is king. But when he stretches and casts the shadow, she notices the shadow. She's looking at the shadow. And the shadow is reminding her of why he came. That's why it becomes the question, the shadow of death, exclamate or question mark, the shadow of death, when it comes to that. John R.W. Stott wrote just after teaching about this, his death is central to his mission. Look at John 1.29, if you will. John 1.29. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We know that in the Old Testament, you found the most perfect lamb you could find for sacrifice or animal. And even though they were as close as they could get, they still were never perfect. We know that the New Testament teaches us that Jesus became the perfect land of God. Remember, he committed no sin. They found no fault in him. He was an innocent man. Don't forget today, he died not only the sins he forgave you of, he died for the sins he's yet to forgive you of. Church, listen. I know no greater disgrace to our Lord than for you to keep living in what put him there. And the reason he went there is to take it away. You can hide all you want, but you will never hide before him. You can make it all look right on the outside. And you and I know it becomes a hiding place on the inside. I'm just going to tell you, I don't want to stand before him having lived in what he came to take away. I just don't want to be a part of it. That's why that psalm is hard. Search me, O oh God. Look deep into my life. If there's any offensive way to you, show me your way when it comes to it everlasting. In, um, in 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25, it becomes beautiful. We're going to have to slowly go through this. For you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he was suffering, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. You, you have been healed by his wounds. For you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and the guardian of our souls. I want you to look at Galatians 
uh, 3.13. I told you we would go back to Deuteronomy here and uh, Paul's preaching here. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. You see that? That goes back to that verse in Deuteronomy. Is, uh, is we, this man is cursed because of this. And he, he's not cursed by the law of Moses here. He's cursed by me and you for us. Because it is written, everyone who is hung on a tree is cursed. Do you, I, I, uh, I want to think that I think deeply. Uh, I do. Um, it doesn't always come across that way. But if I'm ever going to understand it, I've got to break it down to the life of a simple man. And here's where I break it down to, and I've said it for years. I want you to walk out of here today and remember, he looked bad so that me and you could look good. He was not guilty, but he took on our guilt for us so we would not be guilty. He took on our shame um, so that we would not be shameful. That song again, the emblem of suffering and shame, uh, he, he paid the penalty not because he was guilty, but he paid the penalty because we were. Absolutely, we were. I'll leave you with John three sixteen. For God loved the world in this way, and I want you to look, he gave. Golly. He gave. He didn't die on a cross because he broke a Roman law. He didn't die on a cross because he was low class. Criminal. He died on a cross because God is just. And you and I, in the way we think, we're going to think, you know, God needs to move into the 21st century. I think God needs to change a little bit. Let me remind you, he never will. And what he judged in the way that he judged centuries ago, he'll still judge that way today and tomorrow. And sin has got to be paid for. Sin does not get away without a penalty. doesn't happen. He's a just God. And he's going to rule justly. And so he sent Jesus to pay for what you and I did because there had to be a penalty for it so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. Miles, take it back to Psalm 139 in our prayer time. Would you do that? Let's say this again. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me because I don't want to be guilty of what sent him there at all. Sorry, I had to stop and preach. <laughs> Lead me in the everlasting way. Let's pray. Father, as we understand the journey of the cross, we, uh, we understand its method and what it stood for, but we understand how you used it you didn't just make the cross to be prevalent during the time of Jesus. It existed for a long time. But we see the cross differently than they did. It is the power of you to us. And so, Lord, we do ask you to search us. There's nothing I want to live in my life today 
that put him on that cross then. So uh, we really do want you to search us. And, and Lord, there are people here that didn't want you to search them, but search them anyway. And find any offensive way in me, in my life, that it can be removed. I thank you for your love. While we were yet sinners, you died for us. Greater love have no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. And every one of us in this room at once upon a time were an enemy of you. And you loved us, you forgave us, and you adopted us into your family. We were once your enemies, and now we've become your sons and your daughters. And we say thank you for such a love as that. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. The invitation is for you to come and surrender as we've already been singing today. The invitation is for you to come, pray, anything you need to do, confession, kneel before him, whatever it is he asks you to do, come. We offer communion. The bread represents his body given. The drink represents his blood shed. You take the bread, dip it in the drink before you consume it. Remember what he did on that cross for us. And give thanks. Give thanks for what he has done. The invitation is this. Whosoever will, for whatever reason, you come. Church, stand. Counselors, find your spot. Logan's going to lead us. You come.